Welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be talking to Darren Ray, um, CEO of Fifth Step, about the impact of the fourth industrial revolution on modern businesses. Uh, some people refer to the fourth industrial revolution as 4IR. Uh, I've seen it referred to in other places as Industry 4.0. Yeah. But um, basically, you know, what, how is the world going to change, Darren? What is, what is the impact of 4IR? Well, do you know what, Chris? Before we talk about the impact, let's mm. talk about how the previous no, industrial revolutions have... What were the uh, three previous ones, then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and some of the time zones as well. Now, the first industrial revolution, um, it... Um, it started around about 1760 and went on till 1840. And what we saw there was the beginning of the mechanisation, um, a mechanisation of production uh, using um, the ingenuity of, um, well, starting off in England, but all over the world, and the technology of the day, particularly steam at that point in time. Yeah. Second Industrial Revolution uh, started in 1870 and um, went on through till 1914. And that was really the revolution that uh, used um, electricity uh, and the, the beginnings of mass production. Yeah, modern so, civilization as we know it, I guess, really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think, yes, you can trace back a lot of uh, aspects, you know, the beginnings of electric light and those kind of things. Um, the third industrial revolution began in about 1960 and went through, I believe, to 2010. I think that's where history, around about that time, where history will actually start to say that the fourth industrial revolution started. Now, the third industrial revolution, though, um, saw the mass miniaturization of electronics and the creation of information technology as a as a as a sector um, as a as a way of thinking and knowledge workers becoming uh, part and parcel of what everyone yeah. does. Um, so it's amazing to think then that in yours and my lifetime we would have gone through two industrial revolutions. Um, yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, we would have um, well, at least seen. Um, yeah, well, obviously, Chris, you number three. But uh, yeah, absolutely. We we will have um, crossed the boundary between uh, between two industrial revolutions, seeing the tail end. Which uh, makes you think, really, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It mm. does in, indeed. And what will um, you know? The fifth industrial revolution. No, well, which could, may not be that far off. We don't. You know, who knows when that will? Has that already kicked in? No, I don't think we're far enough through the fourth industrial revolution. So no. let's talk about what the fourth industrial revolution is about. Um, it's really about the use of big information, the Internet of Things, the use of the ubiquitous um, internet, uh, you know, the internet everywhere, um, and that's where the internet of things, uh, where you've got gadgets that, you know, monitor the, the temperature and, um, you know, um, a Wi-Fi connected light and those kind of things. Well, the connected home, basically. Uh, uh, well, the connected uh, home, but also um, as that starts to impinge on business and the internet of things starts to come into business as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's how some of the ways, uh, or the, some of the big impacts that... Um, some of the big things about the fourth industrial revolution um, but one of the big ways it's going to change one of the big impacts on it is machine learning yes. um, now machine learning has a a number of different types um, there's machine learning some people call it artificial intelligence they're subtly different things but we see it every day now I mean most people with a smartphone can pick it up and um, say you know um, uh, it's machine predicted text Predictive text is that the, the, no, the, the, not necessarily predictive te- text. It's the Siri. The Siri, uh, oh Siri, the yeah. iPhone yeah. or the, um, the 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 Google uh, application on uh, on Android, and of course there's the um, Alexa uh, 
So what kind of technology underpinned that sort of that sort of stuff? What's the, the protocol? I, mean, I know you know that the internet was a new type of protocol, wasn't it? And blockchain is a new type of protocol. Is is it fair to say that machine learning is a different kind of protocol? No, it's more of an application. Yeah. So the machine yeah. machine learning is the convergence of uh, fast hardware, um, you know, very fast hardware, uh, fast storage, and as I said earlier on, the ubiquity of internet connectivity. So the ability to be able to talk to servers. Um, and computers that are uh, potentially thousands of miles away very quickly okay. and to be able to transmit a voice, for example, all those thousands of miles away, have a machine uh, that's dedicated to processing, mm. you know, an artificial intelligence machine that's capable of processing and understanding uh, language and taking the, the, the subtlety and the meaning uh, from that language and then passing it back as an action. Yeah, so we, well, we, know, we know it's, um, it's, it's important, it's an important development in, in human history, but what are the, you know, to, to all intents and purposes, what are the practical sort of applications for a business? Well, for a business, well, okay, we're only just starting to see some of these um, come through, but we're most definitely seeing um, um, jobs that had previously been considered to be uh, things that machines couldn't do because they needed judgment and they yeah. needed assessment, if you like. Those kind of things are increasingly... The, the realm of artificial intelligence. Um, recent example uh, in uh, Japan uh, is a uh, life insurance company, as I remember. Uh, they replaced 30% of their claims team uh, with AI. Now, if I was part of the remaining 70% of that claims team, I'm not sure I would be thinking that my, my role was terribly secure. Yeah. Um, now, uh, in that instance, they're using IBM's Watson. Uh, which I don't know whether you remember, Chris, but many years ago, the uh, Watson war appeared on the American game show Jeopardy, and actually won uh, against uh, you know, two high-performing uh, you know, previous winners yes. of, uh, of, uh, of Jeopardy. Yeah, well, there was also that. I can't remember the name of the board game, but there's a famous Chinese board game, isn't it? Um, Go. Go, isn't it? Yeah, where the the computer beat the world's leading master with it four times out of five, I believe, and that was considered to be almost impossible. Apparently Go is even a lot harder than chess, and I thought chess was hard enough. But. It's, a, <laughs> it's a lot more strategic uh, uh. as well, so I think it's... But yeah, so, yeah. Mm, yeah, so there's some of the ways that um, right now that AI is get, uh, getting involved, but we're right at the beginning of this industrial revolution, so, you know, someone's just invented the loom, and, you know, yet, as yet, they haven't plugged it together with, um, you know, a steam engine, uh, if you like, so the... Um, you know, in computer parlance, the killer application hasn't yet been uh, discovered, but it's coming, and it, and and it's embryonic right at the moment. So, are people right to be concerned that this could be some kind of like Frankenstein's monster that we we don't know where it's going to lead us, um, or do 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 the the negatives outweigh the potential for machine learning? What do you think? No, I don't. I just say, it's a difficult, I, very broad I, question to answer. Yeah, but. I, I think we have to be cautious. You know, there are a number of um, you know, very intelligent, um, uh, smart people, um, you know, Stephen Hawking being one of them, Bill Gates being another, um, who are expressing concern around um, machine learning and things like that, about how um, it could become uh, you know, dangerous um, if, we, if we do that if we let it have uh, become too powerful. Yeah. So there are concerns around uh, around that, but you know, That's in a broad sense, but in the, I suppose in terms of the minutiae of everyday biz, business, it's, it's not going to be that transformative in the next couple of years, is it? I, I, think, I think we'll start to see it being transformative right. over the next couple of years, actually, Chris. I think, uh, you know, but the, the, 
the Luddite view, uh, Luddite obviously coming from the first industrial revolution, the Luddites who smashed up the looms, wasn't it? Um, so the um, the Luddites, um, you know, denied the um, were concerned about the uh, the future of the technology and worried that it was going to put them out of work and things like that. Now it changed the the landscape and the working landscape, and I think we'll see that within the fourth industrial revolution as well. You know, AI and machine learning learning definitely have the capability to do that. Yeah, we don't have many lace makers. No, no, or buggy whip manufacturers or anything like that. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, no, they uh, I guess there might be a couple out there still, but uh, <laughs> offering very discreet <laughs> services. <laughs> but <laughs> moving swiftly on, I mean. <laughs> but so, in terms of um, you know a, 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 a business like the insurance market or the reinsurance market. Would you see, we've, we've mentioned that claims, so could we see machine learning helping the underwriters, say, to oh, an, uh, analyse their exposures, perhaps, something like that? that I think that will come. I, I do think that will come. Um, and it may be that, um, you know, insurance, I believe, is already getting more, um, you know, is very much productised and, um, you know, less bespoke than it was even, you know, 20 years ago when I first came into, yeah. um, into the London market. But... Um, so in that respect, it's um, it's it's changing naturally of its own accord. But I think we will see things that, that will change, and there'll be new, there will be aspects that we can't necessarily even imagine at the moment. Uh, that are going to it seems to me, I mean, that, uh, what, what's going to have to happen probably is that, that some jobs will go. But maybe if people need retraining, upskill, they'll they'll be able to. It will need sort of higher skill sets that complement machine learning, which can drive new business, you know, new value in a business. That's yeah. the way forward, surely. Yeah, I, I, I would agree, Chris. You know, the, the, the world is going to change and the working practices are going to change. And, which is, so. I guess, well, that's, that's interesting you said it because we've uh, probably, you could t- this is a good time now to touch on stuff like working practices. You know, we're, we're all au fait now with the concept of the gig economy. Um, that didn't exist, you know, ten years ago. Um, but how's that going to change things over the next few years? Well, I, th- I think it's got, it yeah, no, I think it's got the potential to change things quite dramatically because there's now no longer just the the two options that the, there have been historically. You know, between having a full time employee or a part time employee, or perhaps having a contract employee. You know, far more now organisations are looking to have a far more flexible. Um, you know, flex up, flex down okay. uh, kind of service, as opposed to one uh, where they have to make a commitment. Um, you know, at, a, at an early stage, you know, a commitment meaning that they need to hire someone for a for a role that may or may not, um, you know, uh, be a long term, uh, sure. long term role. Now, that's been uh, atomized uh, to a very very great level uh, now with um, you know services like. Um, TaskRabbit, for example, where you can outsource. TaskRabbit. Yeah, TaskRabbit. Yeah. It's um, and there's another one called uh, Fiverr. Um, Fiverr, for example, you can um, outsource any any job um, for for five pounds. Right. Okay. And, um, right. You know, uh, so it may be something. Obviously, it's going to be something relatively simple if you're outsourcing it for Fiverr. But uh, um, well, the other thing you've got to worry about, how does that fit in with the sort of minimum wage then, all that kind of stuff like that? Well, these people are uh, self-employed, so they may be paid right. um, substantially more. Um, you know, it may only take them two minutes to actually achieve your your task okay. you need to pay five pounds for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other things like TaskRabbit um, um, is uh, perhaps a little bit more uh, realistic, where you can actually um, you know hire an assistant. Um, you know, and that assistant may be someone who. Um, just comes and picks up your dry cleaning uh, and takes uh, takes that, and it may be the same person that you hire, or you just go to TaskRabbit and say, 
I need someone to come and pick up my dry, dry cleaning or I need to, them to pick it up from the dry cleaners and actually bring it back to the office because I yeah. don't have time to do that. Okay. And Uber is another example of the gig economy. Yeah, of course. Where, where you know, individuals are you know, gigging. They're, they're, they're becoming taxi drivers for perhaps two hours a, uh, in the evening. Obviously, there's others who are, who are, who are becoming taxi drivers you know, on a more full-time basis as yeah. part of Uber as well. But you know, the nature of the gig economy is changing the way that people are looking at work and changing the way that businesses want to buy their services. They want them to be more flexible. Um, they want them to flex up and flex down, whereas previously they've been hardwired to think about the fact that they've got to buy a, a resource and they've got to buy someone on a full-time basis or you know, perhaps on a part-time basis. Okay, so how does, say, a financial services company adapt and take advantage of this new way of working? Well, a big part of that is being innovative and thinking about um, the opportunities that there are, you know, the opportunities in the gig economy, the opportunities in machine learning. But innovation is a core part of you know, the fourth industrial revolution. In fact, I'd say it's a core part of business in general. Yeah, sure. But it's a, a, during periods of change, it's vital that organisations are implementing innovation plans, uh, that they're implementing um, uh, processes to be able to take advantage of the changing environment around them and observing what that changing environment is and not just assuming that to, tomorrow is going to be the same as yesterday. You've mentioned, you know, so you uh, in the past but looking at using fractional fractional services, that sounds very te- technical, what, 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 does, what does that mean? It, it's really the uh, expression of the, um, you know, the, 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 the flexible nature of business these days uh, requires the different options rather than the full-time employee okay. and the part-time employees. So, so you're flexed up, flexed down type yeah, of so thing. Yeah, so if, if, you know, in, 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 our, in our world, the way that we provide services to our clients, for, uh, as an example of fractional service, um, you know, some of our clients require a, a chief information security officer or a chief information officer uh, for perhaps two days a month, just because they either need some additional bandwidth or they're a small organisation, or perhaps they're a large organisation, but they just need um, some extra extra help. And, you know, we provide that on that fractional basis. And that may be two nominated days, or it may be, you know, something that they flex up and flex down over the course of a month. Okay. So that's, um, that fractional approach is very much part parcel of the way that people and business is developing these days. In terms of uh, say, say an insurance product then, if you talk, if you were to look at say the personal lines market um, you know, I think there's talk about new types of cover, for example you know, vehicle in motion cover, I mean, how, 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 would, how would that work? How do, how do those sort of products work? Sounds, all, you know, sounds very new and, and exciting. Okay, so uh, the concept of um, paying for things when you need them as opposed to uh, buying cover uh, and then you know having that cover irrespective of, of whether you're using it. So um, imagine the situation. Well, imagine uh, you know I travel into um, London, um, you know many days uh, a month, and on the majority of those days, um, my car, uh, which has transported me from home to uh, the station, sits in the station all day. Now it's insured all of the time. Um, mm. You know it needs to be insured all of the time, of course. But the chance of it um, being um, you know, damaged or involved in an accident, I hope at least, um, you know, when it's parked in a, yeah. in a, in a railway station car park, um, is less than when it's in motion. Um, now, historically, insurance companies or businesses in general um, haven't been able to collect the information uh, to be able to vary their, their, their products and services in such a way. So one way that um, insurance cover um, you know, might change is, uh, as we... Um, you know, as, as this is, is absorbed, I mean, yeah. as part of um, uh, 
uh, part of the insurance sector and the financial services sector is that we'll see that people will be able to switch on and off the cover um, um, you know, based on actions um, you know, such as the vehicle being in motion or perhaps times of day or something like that. Or even, um, you know, I spoke to someone just the other day, who'd, um, a startup organisation, who had come up with a product for uh, Uber and Deliveroo drivers. Deliveroo is a, a yeah. service, yeah, they provide, yeah. Away, uh, they go around on bicycles food. delivering food to the, in their local area. That's yeah, right. Yeah. I they, see them around Brixton all the time. That's right, yeah. yeah. And so they have, um, so those guys will need insurance. Mm. Um, the Uber driver um, needs normal insurance during the day when he's not being an Uber driver, when he's taking his kids back and forth to school, for example. Yeah, when it switches to and, a and business. Then he, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he needs to be able to switch on. But he doesn't necessarily want it to switch on time. He wants to, he wants to be able to press the button to switch it on and off and to be able mm. to you know, pay for it on an hourly basis or whatever that may be. And those are, you know, the ways and means of doing that are now... Um, you know, now available in insurance companies are becoming more adept at recognising um, how that might be and how they might be able to productize that and the internet of things and sensors mm. and you know, mobile phones, smartphones where you can actually press the button and say oh I want the extra cover switched on now Mm. Um, you know, oh, I'm back home again, I want the extra cover switched off. Yeah, the flip side of that is I was actually talking to a liability underwriter and uh, a fleet uh, underwriter, fleet motor fleet underwriter the other day, and they were saying that the technology now is so powerful it's actually able to get, say, fleets of business vehicles and trucks, uh, heavy heavy goods vehicles on the road. So the more times they're on the road, of course, of course it makes them more... Lo- well, it makes them more efficient, but it also generates a problem for the claims team because the more they're on the road, at least they'll have increasing frequency of claims. Yes, of so technology, yeah, they grow to exposure. So mm-hmm. t- technology is driving up claims exposure. Um, so it's an interesting point of view, but that's that's the impact that this is going to be having, though, on the insurance industry. We might think it's going to take more cars off the road, but it's actually going to increase volumes of traffic. In some senses, I think you're right. I, I think, uh, you know, and projecting you know further forward, I think particularly in cities, you know, people, um, you know, many people uh, living in central London, for example, um, will perhaps only own, you know, perhaps won't own a car, perhaps hire one when they need one, or Mm. the majority of the time they'll use public transport or Uber or something like that. Um, I think that that thinking uh, will spread out further as autonomous, autonomous vehicles and things like that. Of course it will, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if, you're, if you know, you need to have a driving licence at the moment to drive a car. If you've got an autonomous vehicle, you won't need a driving licence. So how many millions of people out there on, you know, at the moment who can't drive cars will be able to do so in, let's say, five or ten years? That, that, that could lead to a lot more people on the, on the road. Yeah. But um, what a dystopian future you paint. Uh, I know what. Well, I don't want to watch too much Blade Runner, is it? But so, in terms of changes in services and product, I think we've we've touched on that. But you know, startup companies and disruption is going to be an interesting aspect of all this, isn't it? Yeah, well, there are many startup companies who um, see the potential of the fourth industrial revolution and. Uh, machine learning and the ubiquity of the internet and the internet of things and all those uh, aspects and they're looking at ways that they can disrupt uh, what has been a stable you know, ecosystem and infrastructure over the past well some might argue over the last uh, you know, 200 plus years yeah. um, it's been um, you know, relatively stable um, you know, in financial services uh, in particular so um, over the next few years you're going to see start-up organisations in fact it reminds me of uh, a 
former boss of mine in the early 2000s, uh, when I was working for a large um, American insurance company, he said to me, um, our greatest competition is, um, is potentially already sitting in a, um, you know, in a bedroom or a garage mm. trying to come up with um, the next idea. Um, you know, and perhaps even succeeding. Well, I thought. That's the yeah. biggest thing. I think that's one of those things that people are. Absolutely. Doing. I was at the recent Insurance Insider Scope uh, Forum in the, the Willis Building in uh, the Willis Towers, Watson Building in London. And one of the speakers there mentioned apparently there are 700 insure tech startup companies in North America alone at the moment. And as he said, you only need two or three of those to, 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 to land and make it big time, and you put, there you have your disruption. Well, I, I, I go to a number of, as you know, Chris, go to a number of the InsureTech um, um, events, both here in London and uh, I've been to similar events in New York as well. Mm. And what I find quite interesting, though, is that very often the, uh, the incubators, those who are actually providing uh, you know, funds and office space and all those kind of things for yep. startup organisations, uh, very often it's the, uh, the big banks, no surprise there, but also the, the big uh, insurers and reinsurers. Who are hedging their bets? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, they're obviously many of them are running their own uh, internal innovation programs, but um, you know they're looking to acquire or, or co-sourcing or even co-sourcing, but maybe yeah. Yeah, they're looking yeah. to help incubate um, some of the um, some of the next big things under their banner, and, and obviously giving them. Uh, first dibs and early access to it. Well, that's what you've touched on the point there. Then, in terms of like hedging your bets. So, how, how I don't know how any, have you got any advice on how you can survive this current industrial revolution? I mean, is it going to be? Is it just going to be the strongest that survive? No, uh, it's certainly not. It's um, you know, I think uh, I think it was Darwin um, who who said it's not always the strongest who survive. It's those who can adapt more most okay. quickly. Um, so, organisations who are um, able to adapt. Um, and the way that you adapt is you uh, understand your environment, you understand the changes in your environment, and you try to change to those um, uh, to those things. So um, those who are implementing innovation programs are you know are going to be more likely to be able to, uh, able to adapt. Um, even if you're a, a small team, um, you know, um, wondering what's um, you know what the future is going to bring and how things might change, um, you know, go along to you know some of the um, you know, in short tech, but there are many different, um, uh, you know, similar events for different sectors. Um, but go along, you know, join some of those things, um, whether they be in London or New York or various cities around the UK, Europe, or or the world. Uh, go along to some of those, see what some of the programs, um, you know, some of the projects um, that are running, um, and what people are thinking and how that's changing. Just to spark your imagination as to what's possible and how that might change, mm. um, you know. And if you've got the, the power to influence influence that within your organisation, or to perhaps to set up an innovation program within your organisation, that's a definite, um, you know, safety. Is that something that you could help with, Darren? Been to the fifth step. How, how are you advising clients to sort of adapt and thrive in this current environment? We do, we do, Chris. We do help organisations set up innovation programs. We do also talk to them about how the future is changing and what the future might be and how the role of CIOs and CISOs and, and other um, particularly IT orientated sure. uh, roles may be changing over the period, you know, over the next few years. That's something that we've talked about a lot with the creative CIO and That's right. uh, some yeah. of those other aspects on, on these podcasts. Um, so yes, we do get involved and help or help organisations implement innovation plans and uh, innovation programs and adapt their their roles and their people to where the 
where the future is going to be, rather than waiting for the future to adapt them, we're actually helping them um, be already there. So okay. the future meets them there. Well, it sounds to me like uh, a good subject maybe for a, a blog, I would say, at some stage, or, or a white paper. Maybe we should get on the case. Yeah, yeah. it's one, uh, one already in the, in the works. We're, so, we're, yeah, we're, 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 we're just about ready to go on it. So I think we should, um, I think we should push that further. And get I, think we should, I think we should. Well, I'm sure there'll be you know, plenty more on this subject uh, coming up. As we, as we just mentioned, Fifth Step has got a, a quite a, a good thought leadership section uh, on its website. If you go to www.fifthstep.com, and that's spelled F-I-F-T-H-S-T-E-P, fifthstep.com, and they have a section there, dedicated thought leadership section called Fifth Sense. So uh, go there and you'll see all sorts of interesting podcasts and webinars and, and blogs on things like artificial learning. Um, and I rec- recommend you go there immediately <laughs> as soon as we got off this uh, this yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's a great well, that's a great thing about podcasts. They can be browsing uh, mm. browsing the web whilst uh, whilst they're listening to us sitting in, sitting in their connected homes somewhere. There uh, we go. <laughs> and also, um, please do subscribe to the podcast so that you uh, you don't have to go out and uh, manually download it each time. Uh, there's instructions on how to do that within the the various uh, podcasts um, on the on the website. And of course. If you're subscribing via iTunes or uh, whichever uh, podcast aggregator um, that you're going to, uh, please um, leave us a comment um, and you know and um, you know, provide a rating for us. All that is uh, very helpful and it makes you know helps us become more popular. It gives us a little bit more uh, feedback. And finally, um, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask us, do please feel free to uh, email podcast at fifthstep.com or you can. Um, um, Twitter? Tweet, yeah, you can use Twitter. Uh, tweet us at, um, we're at Fifth Step. And if you use the uh, hashtag podcast, just so we can uh, pick out that you're asking a, a question or asking something specifically about uh, the podcast, uh, that would be great. Okay, excellent. Good stuff. Thanks, Darren. Thanks very much, Chris.